notes. He's one of the great assets to the kingdom of God. And we just, oh, today I just want you to just open your hearts and your ears to hear what God is saying through what Sam's going to be sharing of his, of his life and the word of God. So as he comes forward, I want you to put your hands together and let's welcome Sam today. How are you doing? Good. My name's Sam. You just know that. Most of you know me, so we're kind of going to be really, you know me, I know you. It's going to be pretty cool. If you don't know me, I'm Sam. I do lots of random things. No, I'm quite sure what. Um, and let's just pray and hopefully God will do a lot of things and I will do as little as possible. Lord, we thank you for bringing us here this morning, Jesus. We believe, Lord, that um, you're a healer, Lord. You're our salvation, Lord. You're powerful, Lord God. And Jesus, you want the best for us, Lord. Um, and sometimes life doesn't work out the way we think it should, Lord God. Um, I can probably say a lot of interesting words this morning, Lord, and read a lot of cool things, God, and it's probably not going to help a lot of people, Jesus. But Jesus, if you were to come, Lord, and speak to people and be in their lives, Lord, and meet with them this morning, Jesus, Lord, that's what we want, God. So may my human words fall to the ground, Lord Jesus, and may you be lifted up and, and just come and do your thing this morning, Lord Jesus. In your name, Jesus, amen. All right. This is my first time, so it's not your first time listening, though, so you have to help me out a bit, okay? So, you know, I don't know, yell at me and say things and wave things and I don't know, do whatever. All right, let's go. Rick Warren is the pastor of Saddleback Church in um, California. He's got about, his church, Saddleback, is about two, uh, I'll slow down a bit, sorry. Uh, Saddleback Church is um, pastored by Rick Warren in California. About 20,000 um, members go to that church. Very big church, very influential um, he wrote, uh, uh, what's this, uh, let me check my thing, Purpose Driven Life. Uh, sold 30 million copies of that, of that book in just English. Very high selling book, one of the highest selling books of all time. Um, he sent missionaries into the, into the world. He sent about 14,000 missionaries just from his church to try and take the gospel. He is sort of on, his church is on the leading edge of getting the gospel to unreached people groups. Um, he's prayed in the inauguration of, um, uh, President Obama. Um, he's been on Oprah. He's big in the church world. Rick is one of our guys. We're on his team. He's on our team. We know Rick. Rick Warren is a, is a great, fantastic guy. He's, got, he's just a great guy. Um, on the 4th of April, just two weeks ago, Rick and his wife Kay had taken their 27-year-old son Matthew out for family time. They dropped him home that night and then headed home themselves. They got a call a day later saying their son had committed suicide. Despite years of the best medical help, prayer, medication, counsellors and professionals, the darkness that had plagued Matthew's life since birth finally took his life. Um, Rick Warren shares the stage with movie stars and presidents. He's one of the most influential Christian, has one of the most influential Christian ministries the world has ever seen. If any man could be heard by God, it's this man. Um, his son had the best care, the best prayers, and still it wasn't enough. Depression took his life. The internet's come alive now with talk of mental illness and church's response to mental illness. If you go to the blogs and check any of the websites, especially the US, it's everywhere. Rick Warren's son and Rick Warren this and his response to it. And suddenly, this I had been given this task to preach this a few weeks ago. And I was like, oh yeah, okay, cool. And then suddenly this thing's been thrust into the, into the spotlight from Rick Warren's son. Um, so... I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why that happened. I don't know why how this works out. But 
Um, according to the Australian Bureau of Statistics, 45 people between the ages of 16 and 85 experience some sort of mental illness. Okay. So 45% of people in who aren't children will experience mental illness. So look to your neighbour on your left. Yep. Look to the neighbour on your right. Okay. One of you, or even yourself, has experienced or will experience mental illness before you die. There you go. Now look to the people in the front of you and look to the people behind you. One of those people is currently experiencing mental illness. Uh, I think it's 25%. Um, 25% of all adult age people in the last 12 months have experienced some sort of mental illness um, on the spectrum of what you call mental illness. Um, by all standards, we live in one of the most blessed and safe countries in the world, and yet we have a massive population on antidepressant drugs. These statistics don't vary upon age, upon race, upon religion. It's just across the board, depression. Uh, Christians are just as likely to suffer depression as non-Christians. The numbers are growing too. Uh, many famous Christians and biblical people suffer depression. David, if you read the Psalms, you'll see David was had his moments. Jonah, Solomon, Job, Paul, and the famous preacher Charles Spurgeon and Martin Luther. So what is depression? Um, well, if you Google that, if you type depression in Google, the first hit you get is this. Depression is a state of low mood and, aver- and aversion to activity that can have a negative effect on a person's thoughts, behavior, feelings, worldview, and physical well-being. Depressed people may feel sad, anxious, empty, homeless, hopeless, worried, helpless, worthless, guilty, irritable, hurt, or restless. They may lose interest in activities that were once pleasurable, experience loss of appetite or overeating, have problems concentrating or remembering details or making decisions, and may um, contemplate or attempt suicide. Insomnia, excessive sleeping, fatigue, loss of energy, or aches, pains, and digestive problems that are resistant to treatment may also be present. That sounds pretty um, pretty not nice. I would not like to have that. Um, depression is when you feel sad all the time, and you feel like it, you will never not be sad. It's just, this is it, I'm sad until I die, and you can't see any way out of it. The best way to tell you what depression is like is describe what it feels. And this is a combination of what I've felt and what other people have felt and you felt like you've lost something, but you don't know what it is. An overwhelming sadness. It gets deeper and deeper like a black hole. You try to get out and stay out. You try to stay off the edge, but eventually it's going to get you, no matter what you do. You're depressed because you keep failing, and your depression causes you to fail, making you depressed. That if there is a God, he's abandoned you. The best available option is to stay in bed all day. It's safe, it's warm, and there are no people. Eating is hard, sleeping is hard, and waking up is harder. Or you would, love to do, you would love to get well, but don't believe you can. You can't see a way out. All hope is lost and you're just waiting. That's what depression feels like. Um, a person suffering depression loses all hope, even the hope of getting better. Some tasks become impossible. No matter of willpower will work because the nature of depression is it sucks your willpower. Power. Um, I would describe it as a, a heaviness that doesn't end, like a, a blanket of darkness across the mind. And the world gets filtered through this. Anything that comes in now from the world gets filtered through this thing of depression. They only see the worst in themselves and their situation. Truth doesn't get through. Love seems distant. Good news isn't good news because you can't have good news without bad news. And the bad news is always coming. Just wait. And God seems far away, like he's forgotten. In his busyness taking care of everyone else, somehow he missed you. And yeah, you might be saved and you're probably going to heaven. But you wish you could go now. But whatever blessing, whatever intervention in his life, God does not have for you. Depression sucks. So what's going on? Why is 
this depression thing invading people's lives? Why is it such a, a strange thing to understand, a strange thing to overcome? What are we going to do about this academic of depression? And I'm, unfortunately, I'm speaking from the other end of depression. I'm speaking, looking back on it, which is really, really weird because I look at it and kind of, it's, it's an object of, of the past for me. I don't feel emotionally invested as I used to be. I, I can't say it's my favorite topic either. It's not, a, it's not a topic close to my heart because it's horrible. It is, it is the worst thing you'll go through, depression. So what is depression? What is going on? Why do people fall into this horrible state where there's no hope, there's no chance of getting better? We need to link a few things together to understand what's going on. You're a whole person, body, spirit, and a mind, or a soul, if you like. Each of this is dependent on each other, and you can't have one without the other. Contrary to proper belief, we won't be walking around in heaven as disembodied spirits. We will have bodies. The body contains your brain on which your mind sits. It is this mind, the consciousness, that then talks to God via the spirit, the life, the bit that separates you from the animals and the rocks. If one is sick, the others will suffer too. You can be in sin, and your body will show the effects. Your body can be unwell, and your mind will become sick too. So open your bubbles up. 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Or I can read it for you if you like. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you faithful, he will surely do it. So God says to keep our whole body and and our mind and our spirit blameless. And he says he will surely do it. Um, so God wants our whole being to work well. He wants your body, your mind, your spirit to be well, to be working well. When a person experiences periods of stress, fear, anxiety, and exhaustion, the brain releases chemicals to help the brain and the body cope. Perhaps it's work or it's marriage or it's a long list of things that are not going so well. Um, the body releases chem- chemicals to help you cope. That's what it does. Stress Chemicals help with stress, anxiety. Um, here's what our understanding is. Our understanding of depression becomes a little unclear as to what happens next. But the best science can tell us is this. At some point, the person, instead of experiencing these states for only sometimes, uh, enters into a state of permanent state of depression mixed in with anxiety, some fear, and a general sense of sadness. So instead of going, today's a bad day, today was stressful, I have anxiety about this situation, you actually end up being that way all the time. Permanent anxiety, permanent stress, the permanent feeling of dread about life. And it doesn't go away. It's there, it's, it's settled, and your mind has decided that this is its permanent state. So, a quick science lesson as to why this is happening inside the brain. Serotonin affects the transmission of signals in the brain neurons. We don't understand why yet, but low levels of serotonin can cause this feeling of depression. But uh, how do levels get go? How, sorry. But how do levels get low? Again, science is still working on that one. We do know it's a combination of lifestyle, stress, brain chemistry, and genetics. Some people are genetically disposed, uh, dispossessed to um, suffer depression while others have it brought on by long periods of stress and anxiety. Eventually, the brain can no longer deal with what's going on and enters a permanent state of depression. So can we measure serotonin? No, we can't. We don't know what serotonin... Uh, we can't measure it. We can't check the levels. We do know that it uh, affects the communication between parts of the brain. We know that low serotonin levels cause depression. Um, Antidepressants artificially increase the amount of serotonin in the brain, helping signaling work better. But antidepressants don't cure um, depression. Uh, antidepressants uh, take away the symptoms of it, and they'll actually help the, the brain communicate better. But it doesn't solve depression. Um, it's, antidepressants will help you get uh, well enough to get better. They're actually not a solution. You can't be on the mercy of your life. They're actually not a, 
They're very good and they're very important. They're very useful. But they don't cure depression. They help you to cure depression. Uh, um, and serotonin imbalance in your mind and your brain is a chemical problem. And for a chemical problem, you need a chemical solution. Same way if you had a broken leg, you'd get your leg put in a splint. If you had a broken car, you'd get your car look at mecha- uh, mechanic to look at your car. Um, a chemical problem with depression will need a chemical solution. But antidepressants don't solve everything. Um, they're not a solution and not a, a long-term solution to depression. How are we doing out there? I know I'm talking a lot, so am I going too fast? You guys alive out there? Yeah, okay. It'll get better. It's a bit sciencey and a bit full-on, and then we'll get into the good stuff. So, Okay, why is depression so hard to get over? Depression is so evil because the very nature of depression is it saps your will to get better. You don't believe you can get better. You don't want to try to get better. And sometimes you won't even want to get better. You embrace it and say, this is the way it is, this is the way I feel, and it's always going to be this way. Um, and in my, ex- uh, in my experience, prayer for healing doesn't always result in healing. Um, why doesn't God instantly heal depression? I'm not sure. I do know that I spent many years trying to get well via older calls and healing and prayer and Christian behavior and service. It didn't work. Um, I went to a lot of youth alive older calls and got prayed for by the best preachers and, and did all those wonderful, magical, christian things. And this darkness never left. It just it just hung around. Um, my healing took a different path than what I'd been led to expect. God needed to heal my whole body, part by part, to make me whole again. My chemicals were out, but my thoughts and my lifestyle choices were having the biggest impact on my life and getting healed. I had to ask for help. I had to go to something external to my own mind to get help. I had to go see Pastor Mike. I went and saw someone else who's got a lot of expert on the expertise in these things. And I had to start learning about what is going on in my mind, what is going on in my spirit, my soul, my body, and reading about these things. Um, and so I started on the process of finally renewing my mind after a lifetime of depression. So I had to start on the, the long process of walking out. How do I get healed? How do I get well? How do I make this mind well? Um, and God slowly started the process of doing that. Um, one of the key things with depression is the mind plays with itself. It plays tricks on itself. Truth becomes lies and lies become truth and that sort of thing. And um, one of the most important things we need to do to combat depression is take control of our own minds. Um, taking control of your mind and its thoughts are important as a Christian. We need to bring every thought captive. Paul says we're not bad in the flesh, but in uh, 2 Corinthians 10.3, Though we walk in flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. We need to take every thought captive. Everything that comes inside our mind needs to be processed and dealt with and taken captive and put against the reflection of Scripture. Um, and in Romans 12:1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your whole bodies, we're a whole body, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is a spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we need to renew our mind. Paul says we to present our whole bodies as a sacrifice, that we may be transformed by the renewal of our minds, your mind needs to be renewed and your body presented. How do you renew your mind? The Word of God. The truth that is in there will rewire your brain and help take thoughts captives and make new ones that are healthy. 
All right. Your brain is a marvelous creation. It handles all your body's functions for you. Your brain handles sleeping, eating, handles your heart. It handles The brain takes care of things for you. You don't have to sit down and worry about it. The brain does it all for you. It's a programmable computer. Uh, whatever you feed it, though, it will spit back out again. Your brain's programmable. Things that go in, things come out. Garbage goes in, garbage will come out. Over time, you can program the brain with toxic thoughts. Your brain will put down your pathways, and whatever you think, the brain will come back with these pathways. Do this enough, and these pathways become permanent. This is how people become addicted and obsessed, and the thoughts they can't stop thinking about. But the brain is just a computer. You can reprogram it to think healthy thoughts based upon truth. Taking back control of your mind is key to becoming whole again. This means you need new tools to combat the invasive thoughts of the enemy, uh, the world, and your own brain. All right, so I've got some points and things that I've found that help me get free, help me get well. Um, and I'll just we'll go through them and then we'll, we'll talk about them. Um, forgiveness. Now, this could probably talk about forgiveness forever. But um, for the time we have this morning, forgiveness is the key to every hurt, every pain in the past, the bitterness, the things that are holding you back. God is really serious about forgiveness. Jesus even says, if you don't forgive, my Father will not forgive you which is a crazy thing to say. Um, Matthew 18, 23. And Jesus says this quite a few times, and it's, it's quite an amazing thing to say. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, the master ordered that he be sold, that his wife and children and all that he had be, uh, all he had be made, sold to make payment. So the servant, fell on his, the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. So out of pity, the master of that servant released him and forgave him with the debt. But when the same servant went out, one of his fellow servants uh, who owed him ten, 100 denarii seized him and began choking... Sorry, let me read that again. When that same servant went out, he found one of his, own, uh, his fellow servants that owed him uh, 100 denarii and seized him and choked him and said, You need to pay me now. Um... And the, the other servant said, Have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until, they, until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported it to their master that it had all taken place. Then the master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he could pay his debt. So also my heavenly father would do to every one of you, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now, you read that and you go, well, that's pretty, that's pretty full on God. You won't forgive me if I don't forgive my brother. It says, don't let the sun go down in your anger. Go and deal with your brother first. Then go and go to bed. Then go to church and give your offering. That's a crazy thing to say. I think there's something about forgiveness, something supernatural about forgiveness that I'm not quite, I don't quite understand yet. But to release someone, to forgive them, to say, I no longer hold against you what you did to me. There's something so freeing about that. There's something so amazing about that. Um, not forgiving someone um, is allowing whatever they did to you to continue to hurt you. So it continuously comes back. I don't forgive you because you hurt me and it's continuously hurting you. It's like, uh, it's like choking yourself and hoping that they'll get choked in turn. Um, uh, forgiving someone is saying, I no longer want you to be punished for what you did to me. I release you from that doesn't mean forgetting it doesn't mean it doesn't mean forgetting it doesn't mean trusting again it would be foolish to let someone become close to you again after they've hurt you so badly 
but it does mean letting go. And it means doesn't mean putting their punishment in the hands of God. It really means every day choosing to forgive that person. It's not an emotional state or an emotional feeling. It's a choice. Um, if you struggle with forgiveness, if you struggle letting go of these of these hurts, it's really important. There's some good books out there, so come and chat to me afterwards. We'll, we'll talk about... There's a few books I'll recommend to you and you can start in your, on the journey of forgiveness. Forgiveness is utterly key because if you cannot let go, then you'll just be stuck. You'll be stuck in bitterness and it'll just be... You'll be stuck. All right, I'm going to try and use my notes less because I'm better without my notes. I'm not, my notes are important. And now if I didn't use my notes, I'd be in so much trouble. But... um. Yeah, my, my notes will keep me safe. I've got to hurry up because we don't want to be here all day. So the voice inside your head. Have you ever gone inside a room and and you're sitting in the room and a friend walks in and someone you know walks in and and the, not in the greatest terms at the moment, you're not getting along so well, you're not best buddies and the person walks in and instantly your brain says, we don't like them. We hate them. And you think to yourself, yeah, we hate them. Ugh. And then you go, hang on a second. Where did you come from? This, this instant voice that, that butts in, it throws its things in all the time. I don't know where that voice comes from. I don't know if it's got a name. I don't know if it's part of the brain or a spirit. I'm not sure. But if you've ever had that voice that just jumps and just throws things in, that voice can be rebuked in Jesus' name. I did it a few years ago. It just would throw it. Someone walk in and go, oh, oh them again. Oh, look how they're dressed. And you're going, I don't know what you are. I don't know who you are. I don't actually welcome you in my brain. So you say in Jesus' name, get out. You're no longer welcome here. That voice will shut up. I don't know if it's a mental thing. I'm not sure if it's spiritual. But anything will submit itself to the name of Jesus. So you say, in Jesus' name, get out of here. You shut that brain up. That negative, that planning and those negative thoughts and continuously saying things and chatting away, you can actually rebuke that thing and bring it into to control. Um, one of the biggest things that set me free was truth. With depression, the way you feel to the world is, um, is truths become lies and lies become truth. And you'll take one little fact and make that fact entirely truth and you'll ignore all the other truths that disagree with that fact and you'll hold on to that one little thing. You basically distort reality. You rewrite reality on the fly. No one can say anything to you. No one can be positive to you. No one can tell you you're all right and reality becomes warped. The only way to combat that is with truth and you need to find truth, truth, true things in your life that are true. Now, a truth is not tomorrow will be a good day. Tomorrow could be a horrible day. That's not truth. Um, a great truth would be this. Um, a great truth is this one. Jesus loves you, and that is it. He picked you, and you can't unpick him. You can't change his mind. He ain't going to change his mind. He loves you. It is settled. Um, in Romans 8.31, Then what shall we say of these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? Um, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, um, how will he also not with, uh, also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Jesus, uh, Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for all of us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long and we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Now just check this next bit out and it's, Oh, my gosh. Now, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation, we are to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Once again, you didn't pick God. 
he picked you and you can't change his mind. You can't get unsaved. The truth, uh, that's a good truth to start with. If you want to build on truth every day, you want to start at a starting point of real truth, reality, start with that. You're alive, you're breathing. Jesus loves you. He's got a plan for you. He's going to take you through this. That's the truth you start with. And as you start putting truth back into your mind, eventually the brain will go, oh, okay, all right, I can live with that. Your brain, you actually better retrain your brain with truth. And you'll actually find the, the feedback will come out. My brain used to lie to me. It used to con me. It used to be a continuous stream of, of mistruths and broken reality. Now my brain understands truth. It loves truth. It values truth. I'm not perfect and I have my days, but truth is what will set you free. Um, John 8:31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Amen. Um, packaging thoughts up. Cool. I can do this one off the top of my head because I, I know I love this idea. Have you ever gone to bed at night and you lay, close your eyes and lay in bed and your mind is going? It is talking and chatting and brr, the last conversation you had with that person or the last SMS you got or the SMS you sent and didn't get a response to, your brain will not shut up. And it, it's, you wake up in the morning and it's back again. And it's, just, it's a continuous cycle, continual loop. There's a way to shut your brain up. This is what works for me and apparently it's got a technical name. I don't know the name for it, but I'll, I'll tell you what works for me. Instead of arguing with the brain and disagreeing and going back and forth, because you can spend hours, I've spent days and hours and a lifetime discussing things with my brain. I could have learned the mandolin, I could have learned Russian at the time that I've wasted on this stuff. Here's what you do. Take all those thoughts, all the, the, pe- the people, the situations, take them all, put them in boxes, package them up really nicely, put a little bow on it. Then put it in a big shipping net like they use in the big ships and you wrap the whole thing up as a big package. And then when the brain goes, but, but, and you go, brain, we agree with you. We get, oh, brain, we get it. But they said that thing. Brain, we, we, we totally, you're totally right, brain, we agree with you. In fact, brain, I, I couldn't critique anything you said. But listen, we're going to package it all up, brain, and put it to side right now because we can't deal with it. We haven't got the time. We haven't, we're just not there yet, brain. We haven't got the, we're not there yet, brain. We're going to deal with it one day. But for now, we're going to package it up and put it to the side. And your brain will instantly go back to it and grab something and go, but they said this thing. And he said, brain, you smart your brain and go, brain, I know, we agree with you, but it's okay, we're going to put it aside and package it up. So you mentally, I mentally package things up, this whole issue, and I put it aside and say, brain, we'll get to it. We'll get to it one day. But for now, brain, you're right, you're so right. We can't deal with it right now. And I found that was so helpful to sort of take things out. When your brain brings it up again, say, brain, it's okay, we'll get to it. Um, but there's even better than that. We're Christians, so we kind of, Christians have a few cheat sheets in life. His name is Jesus. Um, and so here's Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and lean on me and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Package it up and give it to Jesus. I don't mean that as a nice saying. I mean mentally put things in boxes, wrap it up, give the brain the thumbs up and say, I'm so, I know brain, I know and push it aside. And if you do this lesson, eventually the brain will understand and go, okay, we're not going to talk about that today. Go, yep, we're not talking about that today, brain. It's, it's, it's been packaged up. Make some boundaries. Um, here's my final one. Make some boundaries. One of the things of depression is people will come to you and they'll say, can you do this? Can you do that? I really need this. We're running out of time. And it's stress and anxiety and it's these things. And part of depression is the inability to deal with these things that are going on. So one of the things about getting well is making great boundaries. Put boundaries in place. Say to someone, I'm sorry, I can't do that right now. 
if you're stuck in a job that is causing you grief, you're going to have to quit it. I quit my job. I quit a really good job with my dad. Got paid lots of money, sort of. And I had to say, Dad, I'm sorry. can't do it. And I had to quit. I had to change my lifestyle. I had to go through all these things and change things and make boundaries and make rules and make things to keep my mind and myself safe. And you'll have, if you're struggling with depression, if you're stuck in this thing, you're going to have to make some big life changes. Now, you may quit your job and that'll set off a whole bunch of other things, but the decision to do that is the starting point. All the things that happen next, you won't have control of. That's totally fine. Um, so, okay, is that good? Cool, all right. Let's land this plane. Um, I spent a long time when I was in my teenage years going to youth group and, and there's some great pastors. You know, say, you know, Reggie Dabbs and Dave Reed and, and um, Henry Seeley and Russell Evans and all these big names. I could just spill names. I went to altar calls and went to camps. went to conferences and, and sat on my knees at altar calls and prayed and read the Bible and read books and did all these magical, wonderful Christian things that are very, very good. It didn't kill my depression. It didn't lift the heaviness off my mind. Um, it actually took a different route for me to get free. Um, but I would say, God, why can't you heal me? Why haven't you healed me, God? Like, I've done all the things and I've said all the nice prayers and I, I'm, you should heal me. And maybe you healed me here and you healed someone else over there with their leg and, and their something else. Why don't you heal depression, God? I don't understand. Um, what am I not doing? What am I missing here, God? What have I missed? Is there a song? Is there a secret dance? Is there some secret hidden thing that I don't know of? Um, what's going on, God? I'm not sure if you are getting the message here. There's something very similar was said to God um, a while ago in Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast in the field that Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you, shall, you, will not, you will not surely die. For God knows that you, when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, this is, if you can get this, this will be so helpful for you. We say, God, why haven't you healed me? God, what's going on? I, this sucks. This has been a long time coming, God. Why am I not free? What am I missing here, God? What have I not done? What do you want me to do, God? Name it, I'll do it. And the same thing was said to Eve in the garden. What is God holding back from me? What is he hiding from me? What do you mean? He's hiding something from me. God's holding something back from me. You don't trust him. Something, God, God could heal you, but he's not. Because you don't, you're missing something. Um, the serpent accuses God of withholding from us. Um, and even though God had given Eve and Adam everything they could possibly want, they doubted God. They said, God, you're holding back from us somehow. Um, and so what I found as I got well, God is not holding back from you. If you're depressed, if you're stuck in mental illness, if you're stuck in this darkness, God is not holding back from you. There's not a secret dance you need to learn. There's not a secret prayer. There's no sort of Christian behavior. There's no secret sin. There's no family curse to stopping God from healing you. But the healing for depression is not a magic one touch from God. It is a process of healing, of bodily healing, of mind healing, of spirit healing. You've got to walk through the process of God. You've got to make some lifestyle changes. You've got to make some mental changes. Um, God is not withholding his healing from you. Okay? But your healing is going to come about a different way. Um, Matthew 7 verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who find, seeks finds, 
and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Which one of you, if your son asks you for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, even though you know you're, if you then who are evil, would your heavenly Father not give so much more to those who ask Him? Um, God is not withholding a healing from you, but He's not going to do a magic one touch. He could heal your brain chemistry in a flash. He could change the serotonin level, and you would technically be not depressed anymore. But if you try and change your lifestyle, if you don't change your mind, if you don't change the way you live and the things that are around you, you'll become depressed again. Um, it's only started when I started to get the root of what was causing my depression, the, the things in my past, the unforgiveness, all these things. When I started getting into that, God started healing me, made me free. He'd work a bit in my mind. He'd work a bit in my chemistry. And then he'd drop a revelation, he'd, a scripture. He'd just say, Sam, I love you. And for the first time ever, I'd believe it. I was like, God, you actually, you really do love me. It was a process of step-by-step of working on different things. Um, Okay, let's wrap this up. The best cure for depression is hope in Jesus Christ. If you can, uh, it's not a, a one-off thing. I wish I could pray for you this morning and cure depression. I wish we could, God would do it. And I, I don't know why God doesn't cure depression like that. I spent a lot of time looking, a lot of time hunting around. In my experience, he doesn't. He could do, and I hope he does, and I pray he does cure depression in one go. He doesn't. It's a lifestyle change. It's a step process, step by step of getting well, of getting whole, of dealing with your past, of dealing with your mind, of dealing with your chemistry. So we've gone a little bit late. So um, let me just read this last bit because it's pretty good. Um, if you've been waiting an awful long time for your healing, then perhaps it's time to stop waiting for God's magic wand and let the master physician Jesus begin his work in healing the whole you. Okay? Um I'm not going to do an altar call or anything like that because time's gone. And again, an altar call kind of be against the, against the what I've preached this morning. But um, if you want to get whole, if you want to start the process of getting well, of of saying God, things have got to change. I've got to start. This, I've got to ask for help, God. I've got to go outside of myself, God. I've got to make some changes. Then I'd love to pray with you this morning. Um, but we're going to dismiss you all now as well, um, and we're just going to quickly pray. But let's just pray. Um, everyone, close your eyes. If you've been suffering depression for a long time and you don't see a way out, it's been this way and you just don't see how it's going to change, you've done all the good Christian-y things and it didn't work and now you're saying, God, where are you? Then I want to pray for this morning. We'll pray this morning that God will begin the process of healing you and, and he'll start walking through that process with you. So if that's you, quickly put your hand up in the air and we'll pray. Jesus, we thank you that you're our healer. We thank you there's nothing you can't heal, Lord Jesus. But Lord, we understand that this depression thing is insidious, Lord. It's inside of us, Lord. It's in our mind, God. And Lord, you've got to get it out bit by bit, Jesus. Lord, we pray for those who are suffering depression, Jesus, that you will bring healing, comfort, Lord. Bring your soothing Holy Spirit to their situation, Lord Jesus. Lord, help them begin the journey, Lord, to walk through this, this healing that you're going to take them through, Lord Jesus. Help them to find help, Lord. Help them to know, Lord, that you're still there, Jesus. You still love them, Lord. You're still at work, Lord Jesus. Jesus. We just pray, Lord, for people with depression. As a church, Lord, that the church becomes sensitive to this mental illness issue, Lord. It's real, God. It's serious, Lord Jesus. And, Lord, we want to be a church of healing, Lord. That people come in here, Lord, and this this is the soothing psalm, Lord, that can begin to heal their mind, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. 
Amen. All right, sorry for being rambling a bit. I hope it was all right. Um, I'll memorize my notes next time because they weren't very helpful, were they? Um, I'm going to stay up here. We'll pray for some people down here. If, if you want, the encounter team will come and we'll pray for some people. If you want to pray, and, and we'll come and pray for you if you like. It's a little bit late, so we won't get the band back up again. Thanks for coming to church today. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope it was good. Um, we got coffee. We got cake. We got a visitors' lounge. So if you're new, go and visitors' lounge. Say hello to some people. Meet some people. Um, Sunday night, Sunday night lights tonight. We're going to worship God. Have a night of worship. No talking. No preaching. Just we're just going to spend time in God's presence because His presence is awesome. So come along for that. There'll be a meal. It's five dollars. Um, thanks for coming to Champion Lakes, and we shall see you next Sunday or whenever. Amen.